This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P-Jug, and Hob. The 12th episode of Moon, P-Jug, and Hobbs. Oh, my God. Woo! I thought we'd be canceled by now. Isn't there <laughs> some kind of podcast police or something out there? P-Jug is my wife. Hey, P-Jug. Hey, P-Jug here. P-Jug's there, and she's been frustrated with me all day. From underneath the pillow and the blankets, <laughs> she looked at me with great disdain, um. <laughs> <laughs> which is a word I don't get to use as often as I like. How's everybody else? Hobbs in St. Paul, Minnesota, our capital city. How you doing today? Uh, working on real estate. It's hot. It is really hot. As a matter of fact, I just left the house for a little while. It was 84 when I left. It was 88 an hour later. Yeah. It seems a little sticky and muggy out today. But may I throw this in as an added? Uh, we have had few mosquitoes this year. And here in Minnesota, they used to say that the mosquito was the state bird, right? Because they're yeah. everywhere. But this year, it's been far better. It's been pretty dry and burning up. And maybe that's a uh, part of it. Uh, I just got a message that our guest is ready. Welcome, Leslie McMurray. Well, Yay, Leslie, how Leslie. are you? Uh, 95 and humid here in Dallas. Yep. <laughs> Leslie's yeah. in Dallas, Texas. We have a history, Leslie and I. It's been a relationship of more than a dozen years. More oh than God. that, more like 20 years. 20 years, yeah. When I'm in Houston, Texas, I'm working at a radio station. Call letters KHMX. I know most people don't care. I Heart Media at that time was still Clear Channel Communications. And uh, what they had put together was eight radio stations, five FM, three AM, right in the heart of the area of uh, the Galleria in uh, Houston, Texas. I would go to work at about 530 in the morning, and very few people are already at work at that time of the day. So we'd go to the building on the 23rd floor, and there were a group of about four or five radio stations, and they all had their morning shows in place. I was a part of one of those morning shows. Right next to us was KLOL, which was a heritage classic rock station. And I mean, a lot of great radio shows, Sunny 99.1. And then we had that one station that played alternative rock. And I was always thinking to myself, alternative rock, you know, I'm kind of grungy. Once in a while, I get my grunge on, you know? And so anyway, I would uh, that's turn a, That's down. one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I would turn the Katy Perry down in my headphones, and I'd stick my nose out the door so that I could listen to Stone Temple Pilots or something like that that was playing next door on KTBZ 107.5 The Buzz. Their morning show was in place. It was a guy named Steve with a guy named Jeff. Over the years, since we, you know, had coffee at the same time, used the bathroom at the same time, all that stuff, uh, <laughs> you know, we end up becoming friends and we start playing golf and have lunch and this and that. Uh, Jeff and I uh, weren't great golfers, but one of us had an extremely long tee shot of about 350 yards. Oh, grip it and rip it. That's so, a big drive. So, anyway, let's fast forward 20 years. I go to the same golf course. And I see a woman uh, hit the ball 
and drive a par four, right? Within like two feet of the cup. And I'm thinking, God, man, that woman can rip it, right? And as we get to the clubhouse after nine, this person says hello to me. And I'm thinking, who in the hell is that? I don't recognize her. Turns out it's my friend Jeff now, who's known as Leslie. And that's what we got to get into because we got lots to share. Tell us about your life as Jeff, your life as Leslie. I think you've got one of the more interesting stories. You do so much advocacy now. Uh, you do a lot of writing. I mean, you know, you're you're very savvy behind the microphone if I'd ever just shut up. The uh, skill set yeah. transfers, though, uh, yeah. from doing radio to doing advocacy, because basically yeah. you're just uh, a storyteller. Uh, it's like I come out 150 times a week. My job now is I'm the Transgender Education and Advocacy Associate, and I do corporate trainings. I train Fort Worth Police Department. I consult a hospital, which is one of the major um, public hospitals in Tarrant County, which is where Fort Worth is, uh, JPS Hospital. Um, funny, the stuff that comes in, I just got an email this morning from the people that run Parkland, which is where JFK was taken. Uh, they've got a brand new, beautiful facility, and they wanted me to come and look at their restroom signs and make sure that they're culturally appropriate. So mm -hmm. we get asked to do all kinds of things. We work with uh, small companies, and then we work with AT&T and Texas Instruments, and it's just been unbelievable. And then we also work behind the scenes. It's kind of like a iceberg, really, uh, because what you hear about is very small, but what happens is very big. It's like today, uh, we were able to get transgender health care included in uh, Dallas County's health insurance plan. Been working on that for two years, and the wow, vote just came nice. today. Dallas is the only city in the country that has... Uh, inclusive employment policy, which is for sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, for all four major sports teams, uh, the Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, and Stars. Um, I've been working with the NHL quietly behind the scenes with their HR managers in uh, the States, because we can't really affect Canada. But we work with the, uh, the clubs here, and we do trainings and stuff. So it's just, it was really astounding. At one time, <laughs> this sort of fell in my lap. I was working with a woman named Jessica over uh, at the American Airlines Center with the Dallas Stars. And she said, hey, we have a bunch of these rinks. They're called the Stars Centers, where they have youth hockey leagues and that kind of stuff. And she said, uh, in case we have like uh, the youth hockey players that want to transition, would you mind talking to the rink managers and the little youth hockey leagues and stuff and you know, tell them what to expect? I said, sure. So nothing happened for like seven, eight months. And she called me out of the blue and she said, hey, would you be willing to come down to the American Airlines Center? Because we have some people from the league in and we would like to have you talk with them. I said, okay, sure. So I said, do you need a PowerPoint deck or anything? She goes, no, nah, just bring yourself uh, and just talk to them. I said, okay. So I show up and it's in the executive offices up where Mark Cuban lives and this beautiful conference table. And sitting around it was, uh, I think, 12 HR managers for the National Hockey League. Nice. Not the Youth Hockey League, the National Hockey League. And so it was then just saying, okay, let's talk about it. And so I started getting friend requests and stuff on LinkedIn and connections there. And so I've done trainings for like the uh, Arizona Coyotes and their executive staff. It just sort of gathers steam over time. Snowball, um, even in Texas. <laughs> it, and it's really gratifying. It's, the work that we're doing really matters and it changes lives. And That's wonderful. Thank you. It, it didn't start that way. The whole issue with gender identity for me, I was, I'm old. Okay. I was born in 1958. So you think about the resources for a kid who felt different in 1963. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. I remember I watched the uh, funeral for Kennedy on TV. I was, that was, you know, one of the things that imprinted me early on. And so I knew even back then, and I asked my mom, I said, uh, because they didn't have uh, sonograms back then. So typically when somebody get pregnant, uh, they would pick a boy name and a girl name. So I asked my mom one day, I was four or five years old. I said, uh, if I was born a girl, what was my girl name going to be? And she said, we were going to name you Leslie. So to me, that's always been my name. It's been near and dear to me. And when I could change it legally, I did. But there wasn't even the vocabulary back then to say, this is how I feel. And I'm glad I didn't push the issue because I probably would have been institutionalized. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also wouldn't have my two daughters and I wouldn't have my five grandkids. So I don't have any big regrets over it. I did the best I could to fit into society and do what society expected me to do. I hid who I was and how I felt. And there's no better place to hide than behind a microphone. Because you control all the narrative. If somebody is on the phone and asking questions, you just kind of, oh, bad connection. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So it was the safest place in the world. And I could be someone who wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could be this persona that I created behind the mic and just have a blast with it. So it provided a really uh, good, lucrative, safe, privileged career uh, for me to go along until I could uh, come out. I did kind of a test run. And it was when I was working in California prior to coming to to, uh, Houston. Sacramento, right? Yeah, it was in Sacramento. I put a classic rock station on there and we did this giant Halloween party over here. And so I decided to take a test run. I decided to go and drag and not like the, uh, you know, drag queen drag. I just wanted to see if I could pull it off. And so my ex helped me with makeup and a wig and all, you know, clothes and everything. And I loved how I looked. And I went out and my daughters are 12 and six at the time. And they were absolutely horrified. They were just traumatized. And it was a real gut check for me. I mean, I had a good time that night and everything, but I thought if my kids are going to get ridiculed and teased and harassed at school because of me, that's not cool. If I get fired from my job and lose the ability to pay for their life, that would be terrible. Lose health insurance, all those kind of things, because there just wasn't protections back then. Mm-hmm. And so I, that put me back in the closet for another 20 years. And I'm not bitter about it oh. at all. But once my kids were out on their own and were safe on their own, then it was time. Well, and not only that, I think you told me at one point, that's when you felt closest and felt most accepted yeah. was early on. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they'd grown up. My... Youngest daughter was, I guess, in her early 20s uh, when I came out, and my oldest daughter was late 20s, I guess. So my oldest is now 40, and my youngest is 34. Now, they were accepting. They loved me anyway. Uh, But they had to get to know this new person. It wasn't like flipping a switch. It's like, oh, okay, great. Come on over. Let's talk. Uh, As a matter of fact, my wife, Katie, who's also transgender, when I went to San Francisco for my surgery, my down below surgery, my kids came out to be there for me. And I thought that was the most wonderful thing. Yeah. But we went out to dinner afterwards and we were in this restaurant in San Francisco and my daughters are just, it was very uncharacteristic for them. They were asking very personal questions of Katie and Katie was just answering away. And finally I said, Katie, you don't have to answer any of these. And so I said to my kids, I said, why don't you just ask me? I'm going through the same thing and I don't, you know, don't want to put Katie in a, a 
uncomfortable situation. And she said, it's easier for us to ask Katie. It just feels kind of weird to be asking your dad about mm -hmm. their vagina. They had to get to know this new person and it took time and it's great. My grandkids were of an age where they've only known me as grandma Lessa. Sure. But a, a good illustration of kind of where the uh, relationship went and how complicated it can get. My youngest, Chrissy, was not married. I did all the father duties at my oldest daughter's wedding, you know, walking her down the aisle and first dance and all that stuff. And so I was talking to her and she uh, was dating this guy named Ryan for like five years. And we knew they were all going to get married. Uh, it was just a matter of time. I was talking to her one day and I said, hey, did you do anything fun over the weekend? She said, yeah, I went to a friend's wedding. And I said, did you have fun? She said, yeah, until the father-daughter dance. And she said, I just lost it. I was just sobbing. And I said, oh. I am so, so sorry. I said, I never meant to take that person from you. I said, look, when you get married, I'll play whatever role you want. It's your show. It's not my show. It's not about me. Uh, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. And she said, I know. She said, I'll find something for you to do. But one thing's for sure. And I said, what's that? She goes, you and your fake tits aren't locking me down the aisle. <laughs> and so that we have that kind of relationship that we can laugh is yeah. great. Yeah. But when she got married, mm -hmm. I didn't walk her down the aisle. Um, my uh, brother-in-law or my uh, son-in-law, Chris, did. My okay. oldest daughter's husband. And it was great. He did a beautiful job. But she treated Katie and I with amazing amount of respect. Uh, we sat in the front row. And when the uh, pastor typically says, who gives this woman to be married? The usual response is her mother and I do. And since I was remarried and uh, it just didn't fit for the whole fatherly kind of thing, he turned to me and said, Leslie, do you give your blessing to this marriage between Chrissy and Ryan? The only thing I had to do with that wedding is pay for it. I did not plan any aspect <laughs> of it. And so she handled it beautifully. So she asked if I would speak and I said, sure. And so I wrote some things because I wanted the people at the wedding to know the little girl that I knew because they knew her as an adult. So I talked for maybe four or five minutes and I handed it off to their best man, Johnny, and then he did the toast and all that. So a little while later, they did the first dance and she was dancing with Ryan to uh, The Way You Look Tonight from Frank Sinatra. And after a couple of minutes, she passed off Ryan to his mom and she turned and she put her hand out to me. And I got to dance with my daughter at her wedding. Yes. Oh, that's the, beautiful. The fact that I was wearing a full length sequin dress didn't matter one bit to her. And oh. it was a beautiful, it was, I've never felt so loved. I was just bawling the whole time, just tears just running down my face. But oh. I mean, you can see the pictures of it, it looks terrible, but uh, I've never been happier. Oh. It was just so respectful and welcoming and loving that she couldn't have done anything better. And so yeah, that's, that's my kids. That's something. That's yeah. a great, thanks for sharing that. That's really something. Hey, Doug, are you tearing up a little bit there? I yeah. Am. It, yeah. It gets me every time Fine. I tell that story and I've told it a hundred times. It's it's one of the things oh. that's most meaningful. And people talk all the time. They they get freaked out. Like even teachers have been fired by putting up like having a female teacher with a picture of her uh, wife. Kids are fine with it. They're like, oh, two moms, awesome. But then they go home and tell their parents, hey, my kindergarten teacher, you know, has a wife. And then they get all mad and yell at the school district and they want to fire teachers and do all that. And mm -hmm. it's just insane. It's, I just don't get that sort of thing. But kids mm -hmm. can handle more than you think they can. As long okay. as you keep it age appropriate, you can have any kind of conversation with a kid. My seven-year-old, who at the time was seven, uh, granddaughter. Um, she saw the wedding invitation because, of course, I invited my kids to the wedding for Katie and I. 
So sitting up on the uh, refrigerator, and she knows that her mom's maiden name is McMurray. And so it said Leslie McMurray and Katie Sprinkle requested honor of your presence, yada, yada. So she looks up at it and she says to her mom, is Grandma Leslie your mom? And she said, no, she's my dad, but she's a girl now. And Hannah said, oh, okay. <laughs> right. There's a conversation. Yeah, yeah well, they're very matter of fact. Yeah. I was going to ask you too, you know, when we started talking about the whole, you know, when you were going through the change and the whole deal, I was wondering, did you lose some of your friends? And, you know, I felt that our conversation kind of led down that path that some people had stepped aside or stepped back. And I thought it was wrong. And a lot of people don't get it. But, but you know, you've probably gained a wealth of new friends. When I was working in Houston, I pulled up to my house one day and they have one of those group mailboxes that are out kind of neighborhood mailboxes. So, you know, it was just around the corner from my house. So my neighbor came out and he goes, uh, hey, you work for the buzz, don't you? I said, yeah. And he goes, you must have a lot of friends. I said, no, really don't. I've got a lot of acquaintances. And he goes, well, what's the difference? I said, my friends don't ask me for concert tickets. Yeah. And so it's right. kind of a flip answer, but that's really true. Is that the mm -hmm. people you know the best, I already know your favorite show and you're going to get tickets. Yeah. But I've, I'm going to pay for them because when somebody gives you concert tickets, they expect them to be you know, promotionally given away. And if I just hand them to a friend, they don't get the promotional mention. So I'll pay for them, but I'll make sure that you see your favorite show. I don't even have to ask you. But it's like that now, and it's a little bit different because I've got a number of people for whom I'm their transgender friend. There's a little bit of distance there, mm. but there's a couple of really good close friends, and I'm just their friend. I'm just their girlfriend. I wanted to ask you, too, about you know not being on the radio anymore mm -hmm. because now I'm not on the radio anymore. Hobbs, who I worked with at KS95 for years, Oh, she's well, not on the radio anymore. I mean, do you miss it? I mean, because you've you've gone on to bigger and better and more helpful and genuine things, but do you miss sitting behind the mic and just shooting the breeze and, and having a good time with your pals? I miss doing the show with Steve and Rex. That was an awful lot of fun in Houston and in Sacramento because we would just sit around and think of, you know, what could we possibly do? And then we do it. And yeah. it was just, that kind of creative flow is really fun. Uh, being plugged into people and connecting. And then Rex would move down to Oklahoma City. Yeah, he's in Oklahoma City. There's stuff like I haven't been able to go back yet to this day and listen to the 9-11 tapes because we were rolling tape on it. And I don't know where it's in a box probably somewhere, but I've been able to listen to it. Oh, do you keep in touch with those guys? Oh, yeah, all the time. Matter of fact, nice. Steve just sent me a uh, gag reel from WB39. Steve and I used to host the movies. And uh, we would go to a location and just mess with people. And they would <laughs> use them as bumpers between the movies on Sunday afternoon. And so there was one of them we did to promote Buzz Festival. So it was like uh, eight or nine days. It was like a week ahead for Buzz Festival. And we were out there shooting it out at the empty Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion in Houston. And the stage is like five feet off the ground. So one of the gangs we were doing is have Steve stage dive, but it's an empty venue. And so he jumped off the stage. And so they got it with the camera and then they came down and he's lying face down on the pavement. He broke his ankle oh, doing that. And oh, so we ended no, up having to terrible. shoot the rest of the day and he was being a total good sport about it, but he broke his flipping ankle with that. Not the so, first person to get injured at a radio promotion though. Oh, God, no. <laughs> and certainly not the last. Oh, I have some that I'm going to hell for. Uh, some radio <laughs> Uh, we would do yeah, this. What would you do for BuzzFest tickets? Uh, where yeah. we would wait until it sold out, and then we would the Friday before the show, we'd have 
some really nice seats, um, pit tickets, front row seats, that kind of stuff. And we would just draw people's names and mm-hmm. they would have to do whatever stunt we told them to do. And oh, it was really? the most, we had 14 people projectile vomit. <laughs> it, was, it was like fear factor. I mean, it's like, there's this yeah. Vietnamese fish sauce. You take a shot of that and it's like, boom, it's coming right up. Yeah. This woman, we had her jumping rope. So she had a shot of this fish sauce and then she had to jump rope 10 times. So she was kind of rotating around like a vomit sprinkler. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 it was foul. But for an alternative station, it was great. It was, that was yeah. good. When I was in Denver, MC Hammer came to town and I was actually working on a hip hop station. Moon and Dean in the morning, two fat white guys that don't give a damn. That was our slogan, right? And so, uh, you know, when MC Hammer's coming to town, we did the same type of thing. You know, what would you do uh, to get, you know, a ride in the limo with MC Hammer to the show, front row and all that. And so people came up with the most gross things uh, because the name of the song was You Can't Touch This. Yeah. So we did bring us something that our producer, Artie, the one-man party, wouldn't touch. And they were bringing used condoms. Uh, One of the worst ones ones was a respiratory nurse brought in a five-gallon pail of phlegm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then the winner, okay, this Cajun woman brought in her afterbirth in a bed of noodles. It was placenta primavera. Oh, lovely. Oh. Right. So so we had an odd job uh, contest. <laughs> people had weird jobs. And of course, this woman came in from, because they have this, this world-renowned veterinarian school at UC Davis. She brought in an artificial horse vagina. <laughs> that an they artificial used to, one. Yeah, an artificial one because they use it on the male horse to collect samples, <laughs> as it were. So yeah, who knew there was even such a thing? But we learned a lot. I mean, radio is about education. <laughs> I didn't know horse was not a pocket pussy. I didn't know they they invented that. It won't fit in any pocket I've seen because it was like, (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Ed. Now you need some really baggy pants for that to be in. Uh, Hobbs, uh, do you want to talk about your personal stuff? Because there's something that if she's cool with sharing, we could go there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was when Moon was uh, sharing that you were going to be on the show. We were, I was excited anyway. But um, my child, uh, just this year, kind of one of the good things about the pandemic is everybody's had some time to like really process stuff. And my child uh, has come out to me as transgendered. I wasn't super, super surprised. Like I kind of always felt like there was something. Didn't really know what, you know, just always kind of said, hey, it doesn't matter. There's never going to be anything you're ever going to do that's going to make me not love you. Doesn't, does awesome. not matter. That's unequivocal right i knew there was something and but my family's not processing it that terribly well Mm -hmm. my mother is uh was a florida gator and a cheerleader and a sorority girl and can't think of why any woman wouldn't want to be in full hair and makeup at all times in her life anyway and so the fact that uh my child identifies male there's a real disconnect and i've tried to and she's an educator she you know she has a master's in education and i've been trying to give her resources and try to kind of explain what it is but you know there's a lot of not honoring pro and i don't mean it like it's hard for me for the pronouns i'm mm-hmm. doing my best you know yeah. and you don't realize how ingrained that is until you have to yeah. change it for someone you know and i'm also a stand-up comedian and so i've had the benefit of having a lot working with a lot of fun artists that i've that i've been friends with before and after their you know their their transformation 
anyway, I don't know if you and your advocacy maybe have some, you know, my mom, you know, they're, they're old. My mom's in her late seventies. My stepfather's in his nineties. They're yeah. Catholic. They're super conservative. The advice that I would give is several fold. One is uh, there's a great organization called PFLAG. It's a place to go with other adults that have dealt with this or are dealing with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's super, super supportive. And you can learn a lot from that. Okay. Uh, second of all, what I would say is that it's important to get the pronouns right because this child is telling you who they are. Right. And if you call them the wrong name or the wrong pronouns, you're denying their identity. And that's mm -hmm. very harmful to kids. I, I can't tell you how to run your life, but what I would do is to say, if you can be affirming of my child and love them and respect who they are, you can be around them. Mm -hmm. You can love them all you want, but if you can't do those things, I'm afraid I can't have my child around you because I'm not going to let them get hurt. And right. That's part of my job as a mom. Thank you. Thank you for articulating that so well, because that is how I feel. And my child is, 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 oh, it's my child, but is 22. Doesn't matter how old. No, 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 baby. no, 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 I understand. Yeah. And so in a, I think part of the reason why, like you were saying, you know, going back into the closet, I think this is why this came out. I think the pandemic was part of it and not physically having to be around that. And at 22 doesn't have to. But mm -hmm. yeah, I've been really struggling with how to deal with it with my mom. So yeah. thank you for that. And I think that's, a, I will point her in that direction as far as resources. And yeah, cause, cause you know, I'm doing my best, but it's, it's, it's only been a short amount of time, but you know, I really don't want to get it wrong. I Is really your son using male pronouns or uh, gender neutral they, them? Male. Or male. male? And okay. uh, uh, the name I gave was Paige, but what mm -hmm. I love much like your story about the name he told me he was very, he liked his name. He always mm -hmm. liked his name, yeah. but he wanted to be referred to going forward as a derivation of it and be called Gage, which I thought was super cool. Or you go with P. Diddy. Oh, that's been taken. Yeah, P. yeah, yeah. Someone did or that. Or P. Already. Jug. Yeah. yeah, P. Jug. <laughs> or P. Jug. Yeah. Hey, I got a P. Flag story for you. You want to hear real quick? Sure. Uh, this was another radio stunt. It was for April Fool's Day. I had a woman call our show and say that uh, and she was my wife's best friend, which indeed she was, but there was some, uh, you know, lies within our story. Uh, basically, a woman calls up, says she's in a gay relationship, and she wants to have children, and that I produced, you know, my kids, and they're all beautiful children, and she wondered if I would make a donation in order for her to have a child. And I call the lady from uh, UC Davis if you want. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, you know, there had been a lot of talk at that time about David Crosby from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, uh, you know, helping to, uh, you know, make a child for Melissa Etheridge. Mm -hmm. All right. So anyway, we drugged this thing on for two weeks before April Fool's Day. And I came on the air and said, God, you know, I don't know if if I'm going to father a child and I'll never not get to see it. How will that emotionally be for me? And will we have contact? And there's so many layers to this story. And listeners got involved. God, of course, Moon, you should do that. And other people, oh, my God, it's it's a sin for gay uh, relationships. I mean, and it really blew up and it was just what I wanted. Right. And then eventually uh, I went to the uh, clinic, the fertility clinic to make my donation. And they gave me a magazine and sent me into a room 
And I was in there for about 10 minutes because it was a popular mechanics, right? There wasn't really anything much to see. And uh, as I go to exit, I drop my beaker and break it. And I have to go back in. And that's not easy sometimes <laughs> as a guy, right? The second trip in, uh, since the other one was more troublesome, he had to bring Golf Magazine in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where he was going. Oh, yeah. He likes a good backswing. We already established that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing about it was with PFLAG, they had followed this whole story and they did an article on me. How I was gonna, you know, open my heart and my jerk. Nothing for ratings. Will you stop at nothing for ratings? I sir? will stop at nothing for ratings. So anyway, uh, you know, the end of the story or the punchline of the bit was I said, you know, I, I took my donation in and the assistant said, I'd like you to meet the doctor. And the doctor came out and introduced himself, and his first name was Abe, and his last name was Profools. April oh, Fools. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, what did it sound like when an entire just city just booed at the same time at you? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. But I did. I mean, That's there funny. were TV stations that were interviewing me and stuff. I mean, and you know, I think it all started with PFLAG because they got the most attention for me immediately because they're kind of a big deal. And I was, and I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, I was Grand Marshal at the Houston Pride Parade for six years. Now, is there a way that we can kind of follow you, Leslie, and what you write in the uh, publication in yeah. Dallas? Or do you have a website or is there something that we can get more information about stuff? Well, I write for the Dallas Voice and it's it's kind of like the Village Voice. It's a LGBT newspaper. I have a regular column in it. It's not in there every week, uh, but it's in when I feel like writing or something you know, kind of hits me and I'll go ahead and write. Uh, you, it has a search function, so you can search my name, and it'll show archive stuff that I have, uh, like the one that I sent you. I just found it that way. So, yeah, that's as far as me personally. As far as my work, I work for a LGBT resource center called Resource Center. Uh, the, the largest of its kind in Texas and the third largest in the country. It's been around for 38 years, and we serve wow. a whole variety of people. I mean, I work in the advocacy department doing corporate trainings and advocacy work like today, like I said, I just got done with the uh, uh, Dallas County supervisors getting transgender health care in for their county employees, which is kind of cool. And then we're working on trying to change school policy because they've issued what's called a dear colleague letter that shows that now with this particular administration, they interpret uh, Title IX to include protections for sexual orientation and gender identity. So we go back to the schools and we talk about their local policies and there's a lot of minutia there. I also work a lot with uh, medical schools and hospitals and trying to get not just culturally competent care, but medically accurate care because so many times trans people have to change or have to teach their own doctors how to treat them. And that isn't cool because I didn't go to medical school. I'm, you know, a, a disc jockey. <laughs> yeah. and so I, it's the strangest thing because I don't have a medical degree, but I stand and I speak at medical schools at this lectern talking to medical school students in areas that I know more about than they do because they're not taught that. It's not that I'm some genius or anything. I'm not. And that's what makes it a little bit scary because I don't have all the underpinnings. My knowledge is a mile wide and an inch deep. But for them, my lobbying efforts are to try and get transgender health care taught in the general curriculum because it's Right now, it's an elective. They call it underserved populations. That's yeah. really what it's called? 
Yeah, underserved populations. Underserved populations. Yeah, because uh, we are very much underserved when it comes to well, uh, true. healthcare. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm understood, but it just yeah. it seems so disheartening that that's yeah. the label for and it. Academic, Absolutely. yeah, that's just how it's treated, yeah. you know. So yeah, it's really frustrating because uh, the the interactions that I've had with doctors have been anywhere from silly to heartbreaking because uh, they just don't know and they don't know how to to treat people and they forget yeah. stuff. I wanted yeah. to ask too about, you know, when you're having all the medical stuff done, what'd you call it? Your lower, what'd you call it? Your surgery down there. What'd yeah. you say that? Yeah. How'd you say that? Well, well it's a, the correct name for it is gender confirmation surgery. There's another term called the surgery because people will go, so if you had the surgery, there's right. not really a the surgery. There's a whole slew of things that you might or might not do to your body. It's, it's one of those things when people go, why would you decide to do that? You wouldn't. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. You'd have to be crazy to do it just for the hell of it. Because just to get facial hair out of my face, I had to mm -hmm. go and get electrolysis done. I don't, I don't know if anybody in the other room has had electrolysis, but mm -hmm. it is one of the most painful things that you can possibly go through. And the idea is to vaporize the follicle in there, but they yep. can't do it unless the hair is in an active growth phase. So you have to grow your hair for five days. So that's real safe going around with five days hair growth. And then you sit in a chair for seven hours while two uh. technicians go and zap you over and over and over for hours and hours and hours. And then if you ever mess around in the upper lip area, oh my God, there's a nerve in the upper lip that goes like straight up into your brain. And when they hit that, you don't know whether to scream or sneeze or both. It's <laughs> right. horrible. So I had to get, that's having it done, 17 times had to go back Ooh. every six weeks for two years and it's not covered by insurance yeah. so it's kind of like you add up all the benefits of that and it's like why would you do that somebody yeah. that's going through the transformation okay you got surgeries you got medica medications you've got hopefully mm -hmm. some uh, therapy i mean you know there's a lot to going through that and does insurance pay for anything uh for me no it does more often now, but I transitioned and had things done years ago when it wasn't. It was before the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. And here's how what happened with me is I was working for CBS and I was taking cross-sex hormones. I wasn't out to anybody, but I was still on cross-sex hormones and what are called androgen blockers. And how much and were those? Those are about $150 a month. And that was out of okay. my pocket. Okay. And so, but when they bill insurance on it, they put what's called an ICD-10 code. And everything that you've ever had done to you at a doctor's office has an ICD-10 code attached to it. Every time you go, they put an ICD-10 code because that's what insurance bills off of is those codes. And so the code for what they were doing with me is F64.9, which is nonspecific gender identity disorder. And so once you have that in there, when I lost my job after I came out, I went to get private health insurance and they looked up my medical records and it shows that I had an F64.9, they said, well, that's considered a pre-existing condition, so no health care for you. Hmm. So I became a cash customer. My primary care physician was urgent care. Oh, so okay. that kind of sucked. And so instead of having things covered by insurance, it was covered by my 401k. So I hmm. was going to use that money to retire, but instead I bought this. <laughs> some of yeah. it's still under warranty. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Did it hurt? And, you know, the answer that I always give is what hurt the most is the 20% pay cut. You go from male to female. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. I'm no kidding there. So when you're, you know, you're going to dress 
Okay. Cause I used to, you know, you used to wear golf polos and all that, you know, stuff. Okay. So when you're out picking out stuff, do you find that it's something that comes easy to you? If I wanted to do stand up, I would kind of go here because this is what's really funny is seeing gender and how the country and the society treats people differently. I always hated to buy clothes. But so when I was working in radio, I basically wore a Tommy Bahama shirt and yep. a pair of jeans every day, every, every day. day. I had 11 Tommy Bahama shirts. I liked them because they made of silk. So I had these 11 Tommy Bahama shirts and I rotated them through for years and years and years and years and years. Not one person ever said anything about how I was dressed in radio. Never, not once, ever. Since I've transitioned, there is not a day go by that someone doesn't comment on what I'm wearing. I've been called honey, sweetie, babe. I got told that uh, a t-shirt that I was wearing made me look booby, which is nice. Uh, So I stopped the guy and I said, in what world is that okay to say to someone? I said, you don't say that to people. You know, that's just completely inappropriate. I worked in a job. I sold Harley Davidson's for a while. If I was making a copy, I would fully expect to be touched from behind or to have somebody come and run their hand down my hair. Uh, Never happened as a guy ever. No one ever wanted to touch me while I was making copies. No one ever wanted to run their hand through my hair. No one called me honey or babe or sugar or any of that kind of stuff. And it's kind of weird being a trans person because as a woman, I feel appalled by that kind of sexist behavior. But as a trans woman, it's oddly affirming because they're treating me as a woman, which is like crap. So it's (laughs) you're treating me like shit. So I know you accept me. (laughs) Exactly. You're treating me like any other woman, which is like crap. So I've been accepted. So yay me. So yeah, it's been very interesting seeing uh, how things are different. I was with my wife at a, a law conference because she was she's now a judge, but she was an attorney at the time. And so it was one of those big, it was like a radio convention. There's a million people there. And she had some friends that were up at this bar on the second floor that we could see up there. And so they had this glass elevator uh, at the uh, hotel in San Antonio. So it was packed. I mean, it was like jammed elbows everywhere. And so the elevator came down, everybody piled out. And then this whole crowd of people just stood there. And I'm like, come on, get on the go. And turned out they were looking at us to get on because it was all a bunch of guys. And they were waiting for the women to get on first. Mm -hmm. And I never had that social cue growing up. That wasn't something that was instilled in me is as a woman, get on that elevator first or to kind of at least be aware. I don't expect guys to open the door for me, but I'm aware of their presence. Uh, I walk to my car differently than I did. If, if I was going out drinking, I never thought about walking to my car by myself, ever. Never worried about it. I didn't have my uh-huh. keys out. I wasn't, you know, hit on a swivel. I am now. I'm aware. Uh-huh. Do you feel like you're safe? I mean, I'm sure that in major metropolitan areas, in downtown areas especially, no matter where you go, they can be troubled. But you hear about news stories where people yeah. are, you know, who are trans just are attacked for absolutely zero reason. And one of the things I wanted to bring up too, was you sent me an article and I sent this over to Hobbs and to P jug as well. And it was about the, the sisters. Now, if you, if you remember uh, P jug and Hobbs that we just had sister Tasha salad, which I think is probably one of the best names ever. (laughs) Sister Tasha salad uh, joined us uh, a couple of weeks ago. He is in the chapter here, it's called Ladies of the Lakes. Uh-huh. And, and if you Google it, it's it's really a fun group. And they do so much. Tell them about the story, uh, you know, that uh, people aren't going to see that I shared with my cohorts yeah, sure. here. 
Uh, I'll start by saying that uh, last year in the United States, 44 trans women were murdered uh, pretty much for just being who they are. Uh, oh. Across the world, the number is around 350 or so, and it just grows every year. Uh, and I say those are the ones that we know about because not everyone is reported, not everyone is identified as transgender. Sometimes the parents are embarrassed and they don't report it that way. So 44 is the number that we know about. And this year, uh, we're looking to exceed that by a fair margin. Uh, so yeah, it is dangerous. Uh, but hey, you have to remember, I live in Texas. When you go get your driver's license, they issue you a gun. It's a yeah. mandatory carry state. Pretty much. When the Pulse nightclub shooting happened back in Orlando, this was several yeah. years mm -hmm. ago, mm -hmm. um, our community center, which is beautiful, it's 20,000 square foot. The center had just been finished and the community just gravitated to it. There was thousands of people. And we did this candlelight vigil and a march down to what's called the Legacy of Love Monument. Uh, and that's one of the things in uh, Oak Lawn in uh, Dallas is our Montrose area. That's the LGBT crossroads. There's even a monument down there uh, at Throckmorton and Cedar Springs that uh, memorializes the crossroads. But the Legacy of Love Monument, it's a circular monument that has bricks all around it. And uh, it's at an intersection there between Oak Lawn and Cedar Springs Boulevard. And so people had brought flowers and cards and stuffed animals, and it just was <clears throat> overflowing with this sort of stuff. Working for the Resource Center and being deeply affected by that and the community that we serve, uh, I, I just, with all that was going on, I was completely overwhelmed. And it was like a hot, hot day because it was in mid-late June. Uh, it was just a couple of days after the shooting. And so I just had, I felt like I was being suffocated. So I just left and got in my car and I drove down to the, and parked in the Wal Walgreens parking lot there. And I just walked over to the monument and sat down. And I was just looking at all the flowers and teddy bears and stuffed animals and thinking of the 49 people that lost their lives for what? Nothing. They were just murdered, having a good time. And I just was sobbing there. I mean, I'm head in my hands, ugly crying I'm by myself. And there was cars, traffic going on around. And I was just sitting at this little island because the legacy of love was on an island, kind of in the middle of traffic. And so the next thing I knew is um, one of the sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, she came down, she knelt down next to me, put her arms around me and just held me. And I just put my face in her chest and sobbed. I found out later that her name was Lana Jockey, which I love as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've been out and had lunch since then uh, because we became connected because of that, because I had no idea anyone else was even around. I didn't know she was around, but I got home and I took a nap and I woke up and there was a picture of me on Facebook. No one knew who it was. Uh, they were, that somebody had just taken a picture and it had like 5,000 views on it. And it was just going quickly like that. And so I called my editor at The Voice and I said, I know who's in that picture. And she said, who? And I said, it's me. And she went, oh my God. And I said, would you want me to write about that? And she said, yeah. So I wrote a story about it, just about the compassion of the sisters and just another person for someone they didn't even know. Really, the lesson of that is if you see somebody near the edge, reach out to them. Not everybody's wired that way. And I get that, but you just never know. I mean, there's uh, a story, I don't know if you've come across it, but there was a guy who uh, was suicidal and who was going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he left his house and he made a vow to himself. If anybody said, are you okay? Or can I help you? Or is everything all right? I won't do it. But mm -hmm. if nobody says anything, I'm going to jump off the bridge. 
And he took a bus, he rode public transportation, he was sitting on the bus just sobbing, tears streaming down his face. Nobody said jack to him. So he got to the bridge, he walked along, got to mid-span. A girl came up and said, excuse me. And he's like, ah, oh, my salvation. Mm-hmm. And she handed him a camera and said, will you take my picture? And he uh, said, okay, took her picture, handed the camera back and jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. <gasps> yeah. No. But he survived. He's one of the few survivors. So we know what happened. Wow. We know what the story was. And he's okay. recovered. He's living an okay life. He's happy. But we know what happened now with somebody. And you normally don't when someone takes oh. their own life. So I don't mean to take the podcast in a dark direction, but this is really, really important stuff is that if you see somebody suffering, it doesn't cost you anything. Just show a little compassion. That's right. Yes. Good. If you yeah. see something, say something. That's what they say at the airport. Yeah. And I think that ought to, you know, really encompass more, more of life. If you see something, say something. Because, you, you know, there's a lot of times somebody does look obviously distressed or troubled. And we just turn our heads and think, okay, I got to get to Culver's and get some custard. I mean, it's it's America for Christ's sakes. And we're not worried about other people. We're all into ourselves. I just wanted to ask Leslie about his wife, Katie, or her wife. wife. Tell me about her. Oh, my God. She's uh, tall and blonde and beautiful. Um, She's nine years younger than I am. She was an attorney. She put herself through law school in in San Antonio at St. Mary's. And she practiced law. She was the uh, she worked in the public defender's office uh, for Dallas County for like 14, 15 years. Uh, and then she went out on solo practice for a while. And then uh, a couple of years ago, she got offered the job as a uh, magistrate. And so she, now she's a magistrate judge in Dallas County. Wow. And she is the only and first uh, transgender judge at the county level in the state of Texas ever. So, wow, yay. And she's a self made woman. So she's amazing. And it's, you know, it's one of the things I talk about uh, with TV guys because I, you know, kind of waggle my finger at them and I say, you know, the only time that you're doing stories on trans people is when we get murdered. Uh, And it's like, oh, another sex worker was found dead, shot 14 times or something. Uh, Why don't you tell stories about how we lived instead of how we died? Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about people that I've got a friend named Jessica who flies commuter jets. And so people, may hate transgender people, but you're putting your life in their hands. And another one is an air mm-hmm. traffic controller who's so good at her job. She went from the DFW uh, air traffic control complex to the FAA center in Washington, D.C. to train air traffic controllers. And and wow. so there's we're all walks of life. Um, we're just yes. Yes, different indeed. color crayons in the box. That's all. Well, you know, some of the, I wish that we could hang out, but you're in Texas and it's hotter than hell there. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's uh, 95 still. <laughs> and not going down. I no. think I think a lot of times when people think that in Texas, uh, you know, it eventually cools off at night, and actually the humidity just gets worse, and the temperature may go down to ninety five. But other than that, yeah, it cools you know, off at night in October. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Well, Leslie, can I call you Michelle? Now, tell us about when you are you know posting stuff, Leslie Michelle. That's yeah. just the middle name, right? Yeah, it's just my middle name. Okay. Would you rather be called Leslie McMurray or Leslie Michelle? Uh, Leslie McMurray. Okay. Okay. Well, then that's what it shall be yeah. forever and a day. That's and me. God, it's been so good talking to you. And I hate the fact that we had to do it on the podcast, but yeah. we got it done. Well, it's and- been a great joy. I wish you could have been out there a year ago. We played right after the uh, PGA. We got to play Harding Park in San Francisco. When everything was on fire, so we're playing in smoke, 
Uh, but who cares? It was an amazing golf course. We had a blast. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. I'm on fire. My game is hot. Oh, all the, all the <laughs> oh yeah. Moon, you would have you would have had a field day with the, all that material. Oh that yeah. Really good. Well, uh, you know, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up right here. This is episode 12, Moon P. Jug and Hobbs. We've had fun. Uh, find us on the Tom Bernard Network. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, and all over the place. And we always close with a cheesy theme, so I don't see why we shouldn't play it again. It's time to end the podcast. It's time to shut off the mics. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. You need to share this podcast with friends in cars or bikes. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. Why do you always listen? I guess we'll never know. A fat guy in a wheelchair. What the does he know? It's time to end the podcast. It's time to get some likes. Go to your computer, type it in, and you're going to win. We are out of lyrics in Boopie Jug and Hobbs. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery.